never get to a point where you feel like you have arrived. Because just when you think you have arrived, God will turn the light on and show you an area of your life where you are sadly mistaken. Thank you for joining Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. We welcome all of you joining us by television, those of you joining us at airjesus.com. Welcome. We are delighted to have you. Stay tuned to today's message. Today we are doing part two of something we started last week. And uh, I pray that it'll be a wonderful blessing to you. And just before we uh, <clears throat> look at anything in God's Word, I wanted to share something with you, um, kind of humorous. My mother actually sent this to me. I was talking to her, and it was um, <clears throat> some comments made in 1955, some comments that were made in 1955. And some of them are very humorous, seeing that where we are today um, verses on the things that they said in 1955. So I'll just read a few of these. Um, one says, I'll tell you one thing. If things keep going the way they are, it's going to be impossible to buy a week's groceries for $20. <laughs> Have you seen the new cars coming out next year? It won't be long before $2,000 will only buy a used car. If cigarettes keep going up in price, I'm going to quit. A quarter a pack is ridiculous. Did you hear the post office is thinking about charging a dime just to mail a letter? If they raise the minimum wage to a dollar, nobody would be able to hire outside help at the store. When I first started driving, who would have thought gas would someday cost 29 cents a gallon? <laughs> I read the other day where some scientists think it's possible to put a man on the moon by the end of the century. They even have some fellows they call astronauts preparing for it down in Texas. Did you see where some baseball player just signed a contract for $75,000 a year just to play ball? It wouldn't surprise me if someday they'll be making more than the president. I never thought I'd see the day all our kitchen appliances would be electric. They are even making electric typewriters now. It's too bad things are so tough nowadays. I see where a few married women are having to work to make ends meet. It won't be long before young couples are going to have to hire someone to watch their kids so they can both work. I'm afraid the Volkswagen car is going to open the door to a whole lot of foreign business. The drive-in restaurant is convenient in nice weather, but I seriously doubt they will ever catch on. There is no sense going to Lincoln or Omaha, Omaha anymore for a weekend 
it costs nearly $15 a night to stay in a hotel. No one can afford to be sick anymore at $35 a day in the hospital. It's too rich for my blood. If they think I'll pay 50 cents for a haircut, forget it. <laughs> Just a little uh, humor from 19, what year did I tell you all that was? 1955, so you can see how things have progressed and changed and moved along in time. Well, today we're, we're, we're doing part two of uh, this series um, entitled Living Like Jesus, living like Jesus. You know, this is, this is God's design. In fact, one of the texts I had pulled to read, it said this was God's design from the beginning. In fact, let me just read it. I have it in the, uh, from the Message Bible, but it's Romans chapter 8, verse 29. I'm just going to, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to just read it from the Message Bible. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. And so this was God's original design, his, you know, his original desire, his original plan, that we would be made in his image. And in the beginning, in the, you know, he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So this was always God's original plan. I was, I was coming out of a, a sandwich shop one day. I took my daughter out to lunch, my oldest daughter out to lunch one day. And when we both walked out in the restaurant, this lady was getting out of her car, coming in the restaurant, and she stopped me and my daughter. And she looked at me, and she looked at my daughter, and she said to me, she said, you cannot deny her. She said, that is definitely your baby girl. And it was because of our resemblance, she looked so much like me. And, you know, that resemblance is just... Um, it is, is simply, I believe, our physical likeness, uh, the physical image and likeness that we have in, in our families is, is the same way heaven is made. And so God has made us in his image and in his likeness. And his desire is for us to look just like him, not, not on the outside, but on the inside, to have the same character, the same nature, uh, the same person to be who he is on the inside and and when you really grasp what God's trying to do he makes it easy for us because it's not necessarily something we have to try to just imitate from God but it's it's really something all we have to do is allow him to inhabit us just inhabit us and when he inhabits us his life flows through our lives and we end up looking and living like Jesus. And that's really, that's all he wants to do. And so that's why he moved on the inside of us. God's no longer dwelling 
you know, on Mount Sinai. He's not behind a curtain, a tent any longer. He has moved on the inside of us. And the Bible says this is the great mystery. Generations have missed it. Ages have gone and they've missed the great mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So God did something on the sly and we haven't even realized it. God said, I live in you. I'll walk in you. I'll be your God and you'll be my people and you'll look just like me. You'll live just like me. And that's the way God originally intended and plan this whole thing. Jesus, um, the Bible says in Hebrews that he is the express image of his person. Jesus is the express image of God. In, in um, Colossians, it says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. So God, so Jesus came now in the image of God. So God who we can't see, God who we, who we, it's hard to really get a hold on what God looks like. And so God said, I'll, I'll make it easy for you. I'll come down and put myself in flesh and I'll live among you so you can find out what I am like and so you can find out what you're supposed to be like. And so Jesus comes and he lives among us and and uh, in his image. And so he is the very image of God. And so we now, God's desire is for us to bear that image, that same image, because Jesus is our big brother. He's our elder brother. And so that 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 likeness now flows in the family. And so he's living on the inside of us and he wants to live his life through us. Um, let me let me let me show you some things just to show you in scripture how Jesus he was our model, he was our example. Jesus wasn't just merely living. He he had in his mind, I want to show you how to live. I want to show you how it's done. I want to give you a measuring stick. So you can see how you're doing. So folks, don't, don't get excited when you compare yourselves to one another and you get excited and say, well, I'm doing better than so and so. At least I ain't drinking and smoking and, and shooting and tooting and I ain't doing all of that stuff. And you, you know, we have a tendency to compare ourselves to other folks. At least I go to church and at least I'm faithful, you know. No, that's not who you're, you're supposed to be comparing yourself to Christ. Comparing yourself to Jesus. So when you get all puffed up in pride because you're looking better than somebody else, no, the Bible says go look in this mirror. Go look in this mirror and measure yourself. Go look in this mirror and now you measure yourself to see how you're looking compared to Christ. And that will humble you very quickly, folks, because Christ set the bar high. He did it right. He did it God's way under all circumstances. He was a man in control. He was a man who knew how to live. He was in control of his emotions. He was in control of his spirit. He was in control at all time. He didn't lose it on a whim. He didn't lose it and go off. He didn't lose it and uh, and fall into this and that 
and, and, and allow temptations to, he, to succumb to temptation and all of these things. He was a man who was in uh, charge because he allowed the Spirit of God to lead. The Bible said he had the Spirit without measure. And so he was full of the Spirit of God, the same Spirit we now have living in us. But he lived how to be controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit prompted him. And he was obedient. So he learned how, and all all Jesus was doing was copying. He was copying God. He was imitating God. He was allowing God to live in him. Because he was God. He was God. And so he was just living. And he's living this life controlled by the Spirit to show us. How to live. And so he was, and we sometimes forget this, but Jesus wasn't just uh, merely living. He was living so that there would be an example. He was, he was, he, he lived to say, hey, I know what you're going through. I've, I've lived on earth. I've been through those things and look and see how I handle them. Look and see how I reacted. Look and see how I held firm and steady and I didn't waver when things looked bad. Look and see how I kept my cool and I was always under control. Look and see how I walked with God. Look and see how I prayed. Look and see how I studied the scriptures and look and see and watch my character. Watch my character. We've gotten so caught up in the uh, dynamic part of the Holy Spirit in terms of the miracle, the miracles, the miracles are so exciting and we, we think that's the most exciting part of the Holy Spirit, but it's not. The most exciting part of the Holy Spirit is when He controls your life in your living day by day. When He, when He, when He enables you to love somebody. When he, when he enables you to restrain yourself from saying something you shouldn't say. When he enables you to, to talk a certain way and to think a certain way and to act a certain way. That is where the real power of the Holy Spirit is. It is in our character. It's, the, it's your character where God is concerned about. Your character is eternal. Your character is eternal. So God's always working. He's always doing a work in us. To develop us into the image of Christ Jesus. And I got news for you. He's not going to finish working on you anytime soon. It's going to take a lifetime until he comes back before you are completed. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry. God's not finished with me yet. I'm a work in progress. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a work in progress. We're all, we're all, we're all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. I can, I can look back and, and, and now you should see some progress. <laughs> you should see some progress in your life. But the Bible says, I like something that I just read. Um, you know, it's, it says until we're molded, he, he molds us into the image of Christ. And so you, you know, you get the picture of that, of the, Potter molding clay into the image. He molds us, and so there's a there's a. Or you can get the image of a sculptor taking a block of marble and sculpting it into something beautiful. And so that's what you are. You're like a block, or I should say, you're like a blockhead. 
so God takes your old blockhead. And he's able to sculpt something beautiful out of it. And, and what he is sculpting, he's sculpting us into the image of Christ until we look just like him. Until we look just like him. So he's not going to be finished with you. So never get to a point where you feel like you have arrived. Because just when you think you have arrived, God will turn the light on and show you an area of your life where you are sadly mistaken. There have been times where I thought I had arrived. And some things happened, and I flew off the handle, and I said, my God, I have not arrived. I still lose it. I still do things I shouldn't do. I still say things I shouldn't say. I still think things I shouldn't think. I I still worry when I shouldn't worry. I still get afraid when I, I shouldn't get afraid. Still have my doubts when I shouldn't be doubting. And so I realized... Man, God, you know, as good as I look, man, God has a lot of work to do on me. I was like, my goodness, I thought I was, you know, I I thought I I was talking to my mother one day. My mother's the most silent person I know on earth. And my mother's, my mother told me recently, she said, she said, God just cut the light on an area where I, I, he just tested me in an area. She said, I failed miserably. She said, I failed miserably. She said, and she talked about it was, hers was over something, um, hers was over something material. Something she had loaned somebody, material, it was one of her material, her possessions. And she said, she couldn't let it go. She said it kept her up and she rolled up and she was up all night thinking about it. She might not get her stuff back. <laughs> and she said, God was shining the light on her to say, hey, you're too attached to that. That has become too important in your life. Anything material is gonna, is not gonna last. It's gonna dissolve. It has no permanence. It has no eternality in it. You're putting your value system in things that are not of me. And my mother said that she realized that she has some priorities out of whack. And she said that little test challenged her and she saw that she has some work to do. And I said, man, if my mom got some work to do, where does that lead the rest of us? I think even Pastor Nathaniel got some work to do. I mean, I know he looks good, all of this, you know, what God told him and revealed to him and all of that. Getting up at five o'clock praying and all of that. I understand all of that. But he's still a piece of work. (laughs) Still a piece of work. And Pastor James is too. <laughs> In fact, I heard Pastor James the other day. He was he had, he something had happened. And he he started getting upset. He said, "Man, if I had been there, I would have told them off." Like, I mean, I've seen Pastor James in situations where people have threatened him in situations. He said, "Man, I, he said I would kick them out." He started raising his legs. He said, "Man, I will." So Pastor James, he loses it. He loses it sometimes too. So he's a piece of work too. And I have news for you. You're a piece of work too. All of you all out there laughing, you are a piece of work. And so God has a, God's, God's working on us. Um, he's, he's working on us constantly. Um, 
There's a scripture, Second Corinthians, you don't have to turn to Second Corinthians 4.18, that talks about how the Spirit of God is in us, working in us, um, until we're formed into the image of Christ. So he's always in there nudging, prompting. He's going to always prompt you in the character of Christ. He's going to always, um, when somebody has done something unthinkable, he's going to always be prompting you toward forgiveness and reconciliation. He's going to always be prompting you toward mercy and grace. How do I know that? Because that's the character of Christ. I know Jesus Christ. I've studied his life. I know. And that's another thing. Uh, You're going to have to spend some time with him to know what he's like in order for you to live like him. You got to spend time with him. There's there's a there's a uh, an account over in the book of Acts where they saw uh, some men. And and the Bible says something very interesting. The Bible says they looked at these men. They could tell that they were unlearned men, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. The way they were living uh, demonstrated something so powerfully. They said they had to have been with Jesus. Folks, how many people can tell? How many people can say about you in your workplace that there's something about them? There's something about them. You know, the Bible says that we are, we are the salt of the world. We are the salt of the world. Salt has two purposes primarily. Number one, to keep meat from putrefying and so, or corrupting. And so we're placed in the earth to keep the earth or to keep this world from complete destruction and corruption. So God has us here as a preservative to preserve righteousness, to preserve some things that are right in the earth as a preservative. So so Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Second thing salt does, salt adds flavor. Salt, and that's the reason, that's the reason most folks I know use it. Most folks I know are not using salt to preserve. They're using it for flavor. They're putting it on the Where's Mr. Cotton at? Mr. Cotton came to my house and ate dinner one time, and he, he said, I got to have something on this. I, and, you know, I, I had cooked for Mr. Cotton, and I was so proud of my cooking, I invited him over for dinner. And I had cooked this nice, natural, you know, I had steamed vegetables and baked some salmon, and I brought it to him. I was so proud of what I had done, and I was just waiting for his reaction. He, he said, I got to have something on this. <laughs> He said, I got to have some on. And he started asking for all types of stuff. <laughs> I said, this joker got some nerve. And he eat my cooking, complaining. <laughs> and so salt is for flavor. Salt is for flavor now. And so Jesus said, you're the salt, you're the salt of the earth, you're the salt of the world. And so... In every place, we bring the flavor of Christ. We bring the flavor of Christ. We're to to add the flavor, the spice of Christ to the world. The spice of knowing God. The the spice of the knowledge of God. The spice of the goodness of God. The spice of the love of God. The spice of the compassion of God. The spice of the kindness of God. The spice of the peace of God. 
The spice of the glory of God. The spice of the righteousness of God. The spice of the generosity of God. The spice of the benevolence of God. The spice of the reconciliation of God. And so we are the spice of God. Only problem is we've left a bad taste in the mouths of people who have tasted. And Jesus said if salt loses its flavor, what good is it? Praise God. This is uh, part two. I'm not done yet, so I'm going to keep going till I'm done. But I pray that it, throughout this little series uh, brings us back to some basics of, you know, I had my finger. I was trying to show, I never did get to the scripture I was trying to take you out to, but we'll, we'll get there as we go on. But uh, we'll get back to the basics of, of, of studying Jesus and going back to our example. This world needs to see Christ's likeness. It needs to see Christ. I didn't say the world needs to see Christians. The world needs to see Christ. Needs to see Christ. And so, as we go on, we'll, we'll study more of this and how to reveal Christ to the world. And it's going to help you in your relationships. It's going to help you living at home. It's going to help you at work. And uh, when we come into Christ's likeness, you'll find it's the most powerful powerful way to live. It's the way God designed us. It's his whole purpose. It's the reason why we're here. Um, to live like Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll, we'll stop right there and we'll, we'll pick up next time. Amen. 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 You are listening to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com. This was the second message in the Living Like Jesus series by C. Elijah Bronner. This message is number 7410. That's 7410. The next message is number 7411. To listen to the entire series, click series on airjesus.com or theonlineword.com. Listen to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com often and keep your spirit charged up.